bring the heart. It's time to get loud. Let's go! Because this is Betfred Super League. Bring it on. Welcome to a special edition of Eddie and Steve over the podcast this week, again sponsored by Betfred. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to another leading personality of the game. Warrington legend Paul Cullen is these days chairman of the Rugby League Match Review Panel. And as the crackdown on foul play continues in 2022, his views on the disciplinary process is well worth listening to. Paul is, of course, a former Warrington star player and coach himself. And on occasions like this, it's always good to rewind to the time he first began in the game, way back, in his case, in 1980, when he achieved every young player's dream as he signed for his hometown club. Eddie, it absolutely was. You know, I uh, I played for Crossfields for only one season. I I started when I was uh, 16 and I'd left when I was 17. Um, and I was a massive Warrington fan, you know, it's, uh, before there was anything like, you know, the dad and lad days, it's, it's, where, it's where we went, you know, I've got three sisters and, uh, and my mum and the girls used to have their Sunday, which was very family orientated, and, uh, and me and my dad went to watch Warrington, we travelled <laughs> the length and breadth of the country uh, as fanatical Warrington fans. And I, uh, I came to rugby league quite late by modern day standards. So I was into my last year at um, at, uh, at senior school. Um, and I was very fortunate that a teacher came across, actually from St Helens, Neil Kilshaw, uh, and introduced rugby league to uh, to Butler Grammar School in Warrington. And it was very much a rugby union, football, and athletic school. And they'd never played rugby league at all. And I was very fortunate that Neil brought in a, and started a rugby league side in in, in my last year. Um, and I always was into you know personal fitness, um, and he, he made me stand off and, and captain, and um, it, it just stuck and it worked. I loved the game anyway, and I just found a natural, an, a natural connection to the, um, you know, to the, to the brutality of, of, of rugby league. It just fit. It's a part <laughs> of my DNA. It worked. Um, I was reasonable at football, and then just stopped playing football altogether. The moment we started playing rugby league, and in that year, I then joined Crossfields. Um, and within 12 months, I'd signed for Warrington. You must have caught somebody's eye. There's no, no doubt about that. And, and the, the, the one thing that people maybe forget about you, because latterly we know you as a, a second row forward playing in the pack, you did start, as you just said, as a standoff. And you won the Lancashire Cup for Warrington from standoff against St Helens. At Bolton, that must have been one of the highlights, even so it was so early on. Well, if we consider Warrington's uh, recent record against the <laughs> Ellens, I'd actually forgotten it was against the Saints, Eddie, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it was a really... I, I remember playing standoff to Ken Kelly at Scrum Half, and Ken Kelly was uh, a man of steel. 
It was a Great Britain international. He was absolutely world-class and I learned bundles for him on a daily basis. Not only about rugby league, but about life in general. He, uh, he really did knock some edges off you. Um, he put you right. And I, to, the, to this very day, I remember uh, training sessions with Ken Kelly and Dave Chisnall and John Bevan and Steve Hesford. And goodness me, was that a tough dressing room to get in. And I'm in there at 17 years of age. Wow. But... Uh, I understand it can't happen these days, but in that one year, 16 to 17, I played for four teams at Crossfields. Uh, there was two open age teams, the first and the seconds. There was under 18s and under 16s. And across any given weekend, I'd played for all four. We play sometimes two or three games per weekend. Uh, we turn up on a, on, on a Saturday and the coach would get first dibs on who he wanted for whatever <laughs> games. And if you didn't get picked, you simply went and played for another team. It was uh, it's quite remarkable when you think, think, think back to it. Uh, and the amateur game, uh, which is now the community game, was almost at a peak. You know, I've played for Crossfields against Latchford Albion at Victoria Park at 16 years of age, and there's a couple of thousand people stood around. You know, there's, there's not a rope or a... Um, uh, you know, a, a fence in sight. They all stood round the uh, the four sides of the pitch, and the the atmosphere was febrile, absolutely insane at times. And it was, uh, you know, occasionally a, a game of rugby would break out amidst the punching and kicking and fighting <laughs> and the brawling. It was absolutely brutal. Um, you know, so I'd play for the under-16s on, on a Sunday or the under-18s, depending which one needed a player. And then on, on a Saturday, you'd play for either the second team or the first team. And, you, you know, you're, at 16, you're playing with guys or men who are mid to late 20s, early 30s, and it was such a culture shock. I bet it was. What a learning curve. And in the end, you moved into the pack. Mm. Uh, something must have worked for you because I think you played something like 350 games for the Warrington Wolves, didn't you? I did. I started as a standoff, and that year, uh, when I was 17, Warrington played 35 games, and I got in because the scrum half, I think it was Ken Gwillem at the time, was injured. So Ken Kelly moved from standoff to scrum half, and I played at standoff. And uh, Warrington played 35 games in that season, wow. and I played all 35 at 17 years of age. Um, and then you couldn't go backwards. Was I ready for it? <laughs> Probably not. But then you can't go back to playing. Um, and I don't think there was an under 17s, 18s no. at the time. It was simply men's rugby. It was open it was first age. team against all reserve team. That, full that, stop. that was it. You but know. you kept your place for 35 matches at 17 years of age. Yes, you know, remarkable. It, it's it, it's something that stays with me. I didn't, you know, it, it was Proctor's that that Ian Proctor, you know, our good friend, that eventually gave me that stat. I hadn't realised it. It was just normalised at the time. Yeah. Um, and once you were in, and once you were playing a first team on a Sunday, I'm telling you now, there's no way on earth you were going to go back and play reserve grade Friday night football because in terms of brutality, that's just about 10 steps slower. So when they got you, they got you. <laughs> At least on a Sunday, people are trying to win the game and there's some skill and you know, you're playing with the likes of John Bevan, you know, British Lion Rugby Union for Wales and Rugby League for Wales and a British Lion at both coals. You know, you were, you, you were playing, it's, it's like playing in the Liverpool side with Kenny Dalglish or Stevie Gerrard from, from a Warrington perspective. It's, yeah. It was literally... Uh, mind-blowing um, and, and to this very day I'm now 58 and I can remember it as if it was yesterday it was I that profound I bet you can I, I'm going to embarrass you now because I've got some quotes here from ex-players Bob Jackson and Dwayne Mann uh, Jacko said you put your heart into everything you did and Dwayne Mann said he was one of the toughest loyal and ultimate teammates ever 
most of all, a champion always on and off the field. That's lovely, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, it's, it blows me away, you know. It, uh, it chokes me up, to be honest. But um, I remember playing with those guys and, and, and I would repeat that about them. Um, you know, were we at Warrington at that point the best team in, in, in rugby league as it was then, the old first division? No, we weren't. Um, We'd probably start a few fights and win a few, but <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't beat Wigan. They were practically unbeatable during that uh, that kind of ten year period. You know the the evil genius of Maurice Lindsay. You know he uh, he assembled a team at Wigan that uh, were practically untouchable, and certainly in the big games, the first full time team, weren't they? The first full time professional team. Yeah, they were years. They were ten years ahead of everyone else. Not in the only the fact that they were um, full time, but the fact that. You know, Morris's genius was not only did he, he build from the, the ashes of a Wigan team that were relegated, they then took and bought the best player from each club, not only strengthening Wigan, but really weakening, weakening every, everybody you know, else. Yeah, if you've got to take Ellery Hanley out of Brand- Bradford, they're not the same Bradford. If you've got to take Joe Lydon out of Widnes, Andy Gregory out of Warrington, Andy Goodway out of Oldham, Henderson Gill, etc., your opposition started to dwindle. It was a piece of brilliance from Morris Lindsay and it took the rest of us if we ever have done I think it's only the advent of the salary cap that actually allowed teams to catch Wigan back up they were that far in front they were all good things have to come to an end 1986 the boots went on the golden nail and you you packed up as a player and the coaching bug uh, started to get to you you started I think I'm right in saying as the under 21s that was now in place uh, under 21s coach at Warrington, uh, then you went to Whitehaven in 2000. I mean, Warrington to Whitehaven, the only similarity is the W that starts the names. But I mean, that was the learning curve for you as a coach. It was, it was, it was vital and again, very profound. Um, I went to Whitehaven because it was the furthest club I could find away from Warrington. And I say that with all due respect, I needed a change. I think I needed a change from Warrington Rugby League Club and Warrington Rugby League Club needed a change from me. Um, you know, not everything's smooth and transitional as we'd like it to be. And, uh, you know, you do cross swords and you do have uh, your own views and thoughts. And I didn't think the club was going in the direction that it should go. Um, and, I, and I left on the back of it. It was a, um, a, a conscious decision for me at that point to leave Warrington because I thought it was going in absolutely the wrong direction on and off the field. But it didn't take long. Because two years after that, you get the call from Warrington to come back. You take over from David Plange. The club was in the middle of a relegation fight. And the people in the town of Warrington will always remember you fondly because you saved Warrington. I'm not going to say extinction, but you saved Warrington from relegation that year. Well, I, I, you know, I, I honestly don't think Warrington could have or would have survived if it had been relegated. It's one of the proudest elements of Warrington Rugby League Football Club. It's never, ever been out of whatever the top flight is, whether it's the old League One or it's now the modern-day Super League. It's never, ever dropped into any other division. I think we are one of the very, very few clubs in their entire history that, that, ha- that has that honour. Um, and you're right, Eddie, the, of the 12, at that point, six games to go, Warrington were 12th. Um, and, and arguably, and this is not just my opinion, it's, it's probably arguably the weakest Warrington squad or team has ever been assembled. Why? Because the 12th are a 12th. That's not my personal opinion. Um, and the club was plummeting downwards and backwards at a rate of knots that was unhealthy for everyone, let alone the people who are playing, paying their good hard-earned money to, uh, to watch a Warrington side disintegrate in front of them. 
you know, and if 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 you are if you are buying players from the second and third divisions as they were then at that point, um, then you know there's probably only one outcome because the other clubs aren't going to stand still while you rebuild and you rework your finances. Um, but you know the, the coaching aspect came in almost by default. I, I remember, um, and I've just had now. I've just had um, a full knee replacement at 58. You know, I smashed my knee when I was 24. So the, for the, for the first the last 10 years of my career, from 24 to 34, I had an operation at the end of every year to clean out the knee. Um, and, and you know, the game takes its toll. And I remember going in to see uh, Alex Alex uh, Alex Murphy. Um, who was the uh, director of rugby at Warrington at that time? And it's, it's around the time of the old um, b- before before Sky rescued rugby league and actually uh, provided the funds for us to become full time professionals. Um, Alex Murphy was director of rugby and John Dorohy was uh, was head coach. I was the club captain and the, the knee finally went. I came back from the surgeon. Um, and the surgeon said, it's done, it's over, you can no longer ever play on that knee, it's that bad. And I came back and told Alex Murphy. Um, and Alex's answer was, um, well, we just sat the uh, assistant coach, you're now the assistant coach. That literally was the answer. That was it. It that was, was the it. calling. The K wasn't like, I must be a coach, I've got to be a coach when this finishes. No, I, 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 you know, I had a great, really good relationship with Brian Johnson. I worked for the club then, my full-time job, I was working for the club as a you know, commercial manager. And um, so I had a really strong relationship with Brian Johnson. Not only were we uh, ex-teammates, but we, had, we, we, we were in the next office to each other at Wilderspool. So I spent most of my working day in Brian's office watching videos with him. And, uh, you know, and, and I really began to understand the, the, the view of the game, the aspects of the game from a coaching perspective. Previously, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm that type of player. Um, I've only got one game, it's fifth. And, and I've really noticed that the world-class players like Jonathan Davis, you know, I don't think there's a player to this day that's anywhere near as good as Jonathan Davis. He was absolutely brilliant, world class. John could play in five or six gears. He could go from number one to number six, and from number six to number one. He had timing. He could. He had spatial awareness. He understood tempo in a game. I didn't. It was all everything I did was hundred miles an hour. Um, you know, so you're getting a different view on the game because you're not in player mode. Um, and from that, I've come back and I've told Alex. I've told Alex the news before I've even told my family. I've literally come back from the surgeon. He went right. Well, start tonight. You're at Victoria Park with the reserves. <laughs> and off you went. Off I went. And I spent my first year on crutches, just having my last operation on me knee at that point. Uh, around Victoria Park on crutches running the 21s. You wonder why people play the game when you hear stories about this. Coaching on crutches, ten, what is it, 10, now 11, well, knee reconstruction? Th- this is the, the 12th. 12th, yes. Good God. You know, so um, it does, it takes its damage. You, 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 and if you're not prepared to go through that, you literally won't last the course. You know, the occasional player might go through unscathed, but it is the occasional player. The vast majority of us leave the game in a far worse state than we uh, we entered into it. It, uh, it does its damage. You left some great memories though behind you I mean uh, you know great achievement to keep Warrington in the old um, Super League um, I would imagine though your greatest memory your greatest achievement was the day that you decided to sign one Andrew Johns on the short-term contract now we're both smiling because that night at the Halliwell Jones Stadium where he made his debut against Leeds one of the greatest nights in Warrington's and Super League history full house and Andrew Johns that night was a magician. He was untouchable. You know the uh, if, if you know the story I'm going to tell now, Eddie. If uh, if you know, I think you know if, if people think I've made it up when 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 I, when I tell the truth about the Andrew Johns situation. 
Um, now we, we we'd built the team steadily over over about three or four years from what was the worst position the club's ever been in, 12th out of 12, with with two games to go. Um, and we won. We beat Salford and stayed up that that year. And I rebuilt the side from 2003 onwards. 10, 12 players, 10, 11, 12 players left every year as as we rebuilt the side. And I think by 2005, if I'm not mistaken, the type the year of the Andrew John signing, we are actually from 12th. We are now a part of the top four. We're fourth. But we're hanging in there by the skin of our teeth. Me two, me two halfbacks, Lee Brears and Nathan Wood, were literally playing game by game. Lee Brears had a long-standing back and hamstring problem. Nathan Wood had broken his toe and his foot that many times. It had practically fused. And we've got about five or six games to go. And I know full well that Lee Brears and Nathan Wood, if they get injured... I'd used all my plan B's and plan C's. There was nothing else. All the guys that were on the bench or in the reserve squad were also injured or unavailable for whatever reason. And I mentioned to Simon Moran, we, we met practically three or four times a week, you know, an absolute gentleman. Save the club. I didn't save the club. Simon Moran saved the club. I was just a part of the infrastructure that, 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 that enabled it. That um, I'd literally said, you know, uh, we're in the top four. I can't guarantee and I can't promise that we're going to hang on to the top four by the time the playoffs come around. Uh, I said, Simon, I need some support. I need some backup to Lee Brears and Nathan Wood. You know, there's a couple of guys knocking round. They're in the championship. No clubs are going to let their halfbacks go at this point of the year. I've got a couple of ideas of players I'd like to bring in on a short-term basis. And Simon's answer was... Uh, and, and I remember we were meeting at the hotel near his office in, uh, in, 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 in Manchester. And he went, well, I'm meeting um, Andrew Johns' agent um, at the cricket he, he also works for Sony Music and Simon's a music promoter. Um, and he said, I'll ask him, does he want to come? <laughs> what the, not the promoter, Andrew uh, Johns. Andrew Johns. And I literally looked at Simon and, you know, my face was like, like stone. I kind of looked at him and went, Simon, I need someone this week. I don't know whether Lee Brazy is going to play in, in, on, on Sunday. I don't know whether Nathan Wood, if he plays, can get through the game. Um, yeah, thank you for mentioning Andrew Johns. You know, it's like trying to sign Pele or trying to sign Bobby Moore. You know, it just doesn't happen. You know, you know. It, and, and I went right, okay, thank you uh, for that. However, can I have a look at? Have we got any money? Can you find any money where I can bring someone in? You know, is there a transfer fee available? What can we do? And he went right. Just leave it with me. I'll get back to you. Well, we shook hands as we always did. And I walked to him. He rang me twenty four hours later, and he said, uh, "Paul, it's on." I went, "What is?" And he went, no, Andrew Johns, I've spoken to uh, John Fordham, I met him at the cricket, and he said, leave it with him, he'll sort it out, and uh, Andrew would love to come. He's fully aware of the history of Warrington Rugby League Club, because he's an aficionado of the game. This is arguably the greatest player that's ever been. And he said, um, he's always wanted to play in England, and he'll try his best to get out of whatever contractual obligations he's got, and he'll be on the first plane. Eddie, I nearly fell over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I've got, what, you mean the Andrew Johns? Actually, Andrew Johns from Newcastle. The, the, we are talking about the right one. He went, yeah, of course it is. Eddie, he turned up, he got on the plane and he landed on Thursday. Wow. That's how it happened. And so, he played on the Friday. And, and he played on the Friday against Leeds. And even though Warrington have never won the, um, the grand final, you know, we go down... Warrington go down in the history of the modern era for bringing a game of that quality and that standard to the sporting public. So, you know, if there's 15,000 that night in the Halliwell Jones, there wasn't 15,000 Warrington fans in there because it attracted people from far and wide. Absolutely. It, it delivered to the broadcaster. It delivered some hope 
you know, that, that, that message of Andrew Johns gave the Warrington fans hope. Um, it, the hope's still there, yeah. but, it, but we didn't have Adrian Morley. We'd never have got Adrian Morley if we hadn't got Andrew Johns, because it just put us... I, I know I was negotiating with agents and players didn't want to come. So for all the criticism of the teams that were at Warrington between 2002, 3, 4 and 5, we're in pitching for players who aren't coming to the Warrington Warrington Club, they're going to Wigan, they're going to St Helens, they're going to Leeds and Bradford at the time, the actual big four as they were. We are fighting over scraps and I say that respectfully. Oh, we're playing almost, you know, money and a half to players because they're not going to win trophies at Warrington that time. Andrew Johns changed the absolute face and scope and the potential of Warrington Rugby League Club. And at that point, Simon Moran is a director of the club. He didn't own the club, as, as, as I think, as he currently does, or, 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 or as, he, as he did. He then bought out all the other directors, and it gave, I think it gave Simon hope and ambition. And he worked his way through the system from, being, from, from saving the club uh, in, the, in, in, in the years when we went from part-time to professional, under the, when, 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 when Rupert Murdoch invested into the game. Um, the whole board changed, and that Simon Brown was a part of that board of directors that saved the club at that time. Amazing, amazing memories, absolutely amazing. You know, and we did that game plan on the phone. <laughs> All and, done on the hoof. Uh, literally on a mobile phone. I'm, I'm, I'm ringing Andrew Johns, who lived in Manly at the time in Sydney, and we are doing the game plan on the phone. Now, people learn in different ways, you know, you, 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 you're visual, you can kinesthetic, you feel it. Some people have got to see it, they've got to write it down. Some people just go, right, I've got it. So I've, I've told him what our shape and our structures are. And his answer was, I've got it. I went, I'll send you over the playbook. And he said, no, I don't need it. I said, I'll, I'll tell you how we get from A to B. This is our structure. He went, right, I understand it. I've watched a few of your games. I've got it. Wow. And I went, really? And I, I, I didn't know the, quality, the depth of his quality at that time. He went, no, no, I've got it, mate. You just, I went, I'll get you from A to B. And when you get to B, that's our structure. He went, right, I'll take it from there. And, and boy, he produced in spades that night. It, it was a fantastic night. One of the, the greatest nights, I think, that this town rugby league-wise, has ever seen. OK, so you get Andrew Johns, 2008, things started to go wrong. You left the club. That must have been one hell of a wrench. A year later, you're up the road at Widnes, which must have been a culture shock completely because they're your biggest local rivals. Uh, then you became director of rugby at Widnes. And then all of a sudden, you know, end of Paul Cullen involvement in, in the game. What have you been doing since? Because now... You know, you go down as one of the roughest, toughest players that has ever played the game. Now, would it insult you if I said you're a poacher-turned-gamekeeper? It, it nails it, Eddie. It's absolutely <laughs> bang on. You know, the, the RFL at some point were being criticised that uh, the, uh, the disciplinary process was, was being handled and managed. And, and I say this very respectfully by people who hadn't actually played the game. They were administrators. They were a part of compliance in the legal aspect. Uh, Adrian Morley... Our good friend, he's actually on the Tuesday night judge and jury, the operational rules tribunal. So if you've done something wrong, you end up on Tuesday night stood in front of the Crown Court judge, and he's an independent Crown Court judge, the Honourable Queen's Councillor. They are at that level. And Adrian Morley and possibly Stuart Fielden. You know, they are ex-players of the highest standard that then will judge whether a player's guilty or he's not guilty. So uh, I think the RFL have decided what, 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 to, to stave off some elements of criticism about the process. We'll actually put people in there who have gone through the entire process, and I certainly have, and so has Adrian. Well, absolutely have. Let, let me read you some more, more quotes. You're chair of the Match Review panel now in 2022. 
Your Wikipedia page says Paul Cullen had an aggressive defence which made him a crowd favourite. Former referee Jim Smith said of you, I loved refereeing Paul. He could dish it out, but he never moaned or groaned when he copped one and he could play a bit. And your former coach Tony Barrow said, a team, a player every team needs, tough and no-nonsense. So how did this change come about then from a tough, no-nonsense player to a no-nonsense law enforcer of the game that you are now? What is your role as chair of this disciplinary panel, which is very much this year, under the spotlight it is you know we um, we, we are four ex-players uh, Paul Dixon ex, ex-Leeds and, and Bradford and half a dozen other clubs Phil Vivas ex-St Helens Nathan McAvoy ex-Salford and Bradford Bulls and myself ex-Warrington uh, four very different characters and you're chair of that lot and, and <laughs> yes you know I, I think I'm chair of it because I don't mind talking and uh, I, you know I can, I, can, I can deliver a message you know mm-hmm. so um, and the other guys are all Full time, they've all got full time jobs. You know, it's but we are an independent panel, so the process is in three stages. It's match officials have got the game zero to eighty. Cold light of day over the weekend, Monday morning, we review every Super League game, every contact, every incident, and then if we charge a player, we, the match review panel never ban a player. They they grade an incident, and you've got a caution to an A, B, C, D, E, or an F. That's it. So if there's a high tackle or a punch or a cannonball on a knee or someone drops on the back of someone's ankle, you know, and a lot of a lot of the stuff we look at these days is a part of the modern day wrestling techniques that some players aren't very good at wrestling and get it wrong. Well, the rugby players—they're not wrestlers, quite. You know, and neither are the boxers either. You know, and uh, (laughs) and under the current climate, the new science and the new information about concussion and head injuries that uh, the game has had to uh, get in line, and it has done. And in in fact, I think it's well in front of the curve. Um, They they take. It very, they, they take their responsibility very, very seriously, and I'm happy to be a part of that. And you're quite right, Ed. I have, I have literally gone from one side to the other, but, but, but in it, I fully understood what we were doing in the day. You know, I don't think there's anything careless or borderline reckless. A lot of that was intentional. It was a part of the game. It was a part of the fabric of the game, and, and it's unacceptable in 2022 to two rugby players to stand up and punch each other in the face. So what would have been dealt with with, um, you know, a, a careless kind of charge a grade A a punching one on one minor is now an intentional bracket and that's one of been been the big changes this year you know the clubs have been informed that that was going to happen um, and I've seen a massive behaviour change there's very very few punches thrown now, whether people like that or dislike that these, these, these ex-rugby players that we know very well are suffering seriously from, from, from concussion and, and knocks to the head. And that whole investigation is ongoing. It's, it's, it's current. You know, it's being led by the medical geniuses and, and, and that, that, are, um, that are managing the game and taking responsibility for the game. Um, and all they're trying to do is, is to reduce the avoidable, unnecessary contacts with the head. The problem is that you've had... 48 games and 42 cards, red and yellow, have been shown by the referees. Once you review the matches on a Monday morning, you then hand it on to the disciplinary process. So you are grading what the offences are. Do you think your colleagues on the panel are then getting it right? Oh, well, for the vast majority, yes. So if there has been, I, you know, I'll, I'll accept those facts. Um, do I think, well, we clearly don't because there's been a number, a small number, three, four um, 
incidents where someone's been sin binned and then we haven't charged on a Monday morning. Mm. But but we have the benefit of the cold light of day. You know, we've got some and kids. And the replays. And, and the, the replays. Angles, yeah. And the angles, the slow-mo, freeze frame. A match official doesn't have that in the... And I think they've been very, very brave. I think in general, they've done a fantastic job. Um, it has been described, I've got the toughest toughest job in rugby league, chairing the match review panel. Eddie, I haven't. I think... I think Steve Ganson has got one of the toughest jobs in rugby league after the players and after the coaches because it's the players that are going through the situation. Coaching in the modern era is very different. It's, it's changed. You well, know, isn't it up to the coaches to, to change the psyche of the player? Yes, and I think they are. I, I, I generally think they are. We're seeing less fighting. We're seeing less hits in the back after the ball's gone. You know, you can't have players knocked unconscious when they don't have the ball and someone hits them in the back and runs off. I mean, how, how was that ever a tackle anyway in, in any era? Uh, it came in because the game has gone quite lateral. Uh, you know, the, the ball goes from one wing to another on a very regular basis it's a prescribed set play you know and a block play after a block play after a block play so the ball starts with the right winger and the left winger scores you know there was examples of that in the past but it wasn't practically every time someone gets into the good ball the good field position um, so the game has become quite lateral so there's pressure from the markers pressure from the inside and people are passing a ball relaxing and getting hit in the back and having their necks flexed they're getting whiplash um, it's, a, it's a part of the modern modern day game which has to be managed um, and you have to manage things that are borderline that would be a penalty or possibly a sin bin they're cautions or grade A's you, we, we can't allow that to happen because the modern sign says if you've picked up five or six minor small hits in the back and your neck has been flexed there's damage that means the brain is hitting the inside of the skull and it's not just the big collisions that are being are being now factored in. It's the it's the accumulation of the smaller collisions. So getting four or five hits in the back when you haven't got the ball is now being deemed to be a serious situation because players are leaving the field concussed because they're failing HIAs. Um, you know, so this is about protecting players, and if you're protecting players, they're not getting injured. You're also, by default, protecting players that are not getting suspended. I don't think anyone can. I don't think anyone can argue with anything that you've said. That's the process. Mm. Now, the problem is, of course, that we all now know the process. We all now know what goes on Monday to Friday. It's when the referee makes a decision on the field. Two men in the sin bin. Match is gone for the team that has suffered the two men in the sin bin. There's a lot of former players. We know who they are, and they're quite vocal from time to time. A lot of former players say that the whole process at the moment is wrong. What do you say to them? Well, I think they're wrong. The whole process isn't wrong. Have, have the three elements, and that would be match officials during game time, match review panel, cold light today, Monday morning, the operational rules tribunal, the judge and jury on a Tuesday night. Are we... All three of us, 100% perfect in every decision that we've made this season so far. No, we're not. We're human beings. And you have, you know, inconsistencies built into the programme because, you know, what is this? Six or seven full-time match officials. Uh, there's six or seven full-time judges who are working on the ORT. There's about a dozen side members. You know, the match review panel are very consistent because it's only the four of us and we view every single incident every single week. So in it, uh, there's been a, you know, a small number, I think two, three, four sim bins in a game which have affected the flow of a game. 
or partly affected the flow of a game um, and we haven't charged on a Monday morning. Well, I don't think that is a... Uh, although, you know, and the match officials have been very, very honest and say we've got a couple wrong. But there's no one been sent from the field that's not been charged. Will this last? Will this... They call it a clampdown. They call it, you know, whatever they like to say. You know, uh, they're trying to, to, to freshen up. It's the wrong word. Mm. They're trying to make the game what it is. They're standing and stamping on um, foul play. We're seven, eight weeks into the season. When we get to the end of the season, can we look back and say this has lasted right the way through? Because at the minute, it seems to have eased off. And we've seen that in the past. We've oh. had these massive... You know, clampdowns on players in the past at the start yeah. of the season, midway through, it's all forgotten and back to normal. Well, there's many moving parts in this, and I'll, I'll be really clear. This year, for 2022, there's only been two changes in the laws in terms of the compliance, the modern-day sentencing guidelines. And that was about punching and striking. They've gone from where you could grade something at a grade A, B or C for two players punching each other once or twice in the head. And that's now a minimum of a grade D. And you can and clearly a grade D carries carries um, a, a, um, a, a, a an option of the judge on Tuesday night awarding a three, four, or five game penalty notice or a five game ban. Okay. But that's that's the wisdom of a Crown Court judge assessing evidence and facts and listening to the defence and representation of the player, the coach, the chief executive, the director of rugby, their legal advisor. It's a it's you know. It's, it, it, it mimics the judicial system in this country. Yeah, um, the club's on board with this. Absolutely. That, that, Eddie, that's been on board now for the past 10 or 15 years. It's a part of the modern game. There's nothing new in that. Um, if anything's charged that A, B and C deemed to be the lesser offences, and A, you can either have a zero-game penalty notice or a one-game penalty note attached, depending. So your good character or your good form is taken into consideration, or not, if you've done it before. So it's like a court of law. If you've got past and previous... You're going to suffer. Yes, you. If, you know, for example, if 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 there's two players and they both punch each other in the face, and it's quite clear, it's live on Sky Television, and there you see them. I I punch you, you punch me. I kind of guarantee, if the evidence is clear, you'll get a grade D, and I'll get a grade D, and you'll and we'll both be up before the judge on Tuesday night. Edit, you've never done it before, and I've done it three or four times in the last couple of years. So you, the judge, might give you three games, and he might give me five. Because my record, my character, my presentation will be taken into account by an independent Crown Court judge. It's you not, can't argue with that. Well, it's not. It's not the head of rugby league. It's not Ralph Rimmer or Karen Morehouse or Robert Hicks making that decision. It's not Paul Cullen or Paul Dixon or Nathan McAvoy or Phil Vivers. We've simply charged. You know, you may have been. We may have been. We've seen it this year. You've been. We punched each other and we've been sent from the field. When we look at that in the call light today, we'll say right. Well. I've punched you once, you've punched me once, it's clearly a grade D because that's now an intentional act. There's no A, B and C available to us. It's the easiest decision we'll ever make. Mm. The judge then will decide what the evidence looks like, how it's presented, what the attitude of the uh, yours is in, in, in defending yourself and mine for telling them how I've done it and why I've done it and what's happened. Um, and then he'll decide whether, he's gonna, whether we're guilty or not. You might, you know, some players go up and just plead guilty. By default, they're giving themselves a three, four, or five game ban because they're pleading <laughs> guilty to a charge because they've clearly done it, you know. And the vast majority of players plead guilty. And even somewhere I've seen, you know, concerns from coaches, even complaints from coaches, they've actually pleaded guilty to the offence. So, in your mind, despite what ex players, fans, commentators, critics say, 
your conscience is clear. Abs all of you. Absolutely clear. Have You're not ruining the game, oh, as people say. I, I think we are future-proof in the game, Eddie. I, I really do. You know, uh, I, I could use that, you know, the, the analogy of King Canute. He's all right standing in the, in, in, you know, at the, at the shore saying the tide's not going to come in. It's coming in. It's coming in. Without a shadow of a doubt, you know, this is being led by medical evidence and, you know, the, the scientists that are protecting players in a sport that's getting faster, they're more powerful, they're fitter. Um, you know, so whether, whether people think the game is as good in the 70s and 80s or the 90s, the early 2000s as it is now, I guarantee players are better prepared, they are bigger, they're more powerful, they're fitter. It might not be, you know, we might not have a, another Martin Afire currently, we might not have another Elry Hanley, but they'll come, you know. Because they'll be encouraged to take the game up because it's a cleaner, faster sport. It's, and it's far safer. Yeah. Will you get contact? Of course you will. Will you get knocked in or around the head or neck in a game of rugby league? Yes, you will. What the game is trying to um, move away from is the, un, is the avoidable, the unnecessary contact with the head, neck and or spinal cord or any other joint that's being compromised because wrestle technique is, is not good enough. You know, you can't twist someone's wrist or pull their elbow back or chicken wing the shoulder or drop on the back of someone's ankle and say it's a reasonable tackle. This is a process. We follow process. We don't simply sit there on a Monday morning and make it up. We are accountable. So in the meeting, there's the four members, as previously mentioned. There's also the head of the RFL's compliance team, which is Gavin Wilde. He's also sat in there with Richard Yates, the head of the RFL's legal team. Um, you know, we answer to the game and, and, and the rules that we currently enforce are supplied to us by the game. So 2018, four clubs were asked to review the entire disciplinary process from, the, from, 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 from second zero, the referee blows the whistle to the judge on Tuesday night saying someone's guilty or not guilty and giving him a, a one, two, three, five game ban or whatever he does. And that was led by four clubs. Hulkingston Rovers, Neil Hodgell, uh, Adam Pearson at Hull FC. He, uh, he um, uh, delegated that to Motu Tony, Michael Carter at Wakefield and Chris Hamilton from Oldham, one of the most experienced chairmen in the game, has seen everything from Super League to Division 1 to Division 2. They reviewed the entire process on on behalf of the game, they made recommendations which went out to every single club, Super League, Championship, League One. They all fed back in. That was uh, knocked about and changed and adapted. Everyone had their say and they delivered to match officials, to match review and to the ORT the rules of engagement going forward. We are simply enforcing the rules of the game decided by the game. And you're the man regularly put up to do this sort of thing and explain and you've explained brilliantly on this podcast we now know where we stand i remember saying to you a long long time ago you know you've got a you've got a career in broadcasting where next where next you go you've got primrose and blue blood running through your veins you've already told us that will you ever go back to warrington they say never go back you and lee Briers could just wave a magic wand one of these days and give Warrington a championship, for God's sake. Well, sometimes, Ed, the, uh, the, the ship has sailed. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I went through a, you know, a process. It was a personal process. Um, as we know, it, it, it started for me in, in 2006. Um, and by, by, you know, 2010 has come around. My, my life changed um, beyond all recognition. Um, you know, and, and if you want to coach, you've got to live this life 24-7, 365. Um, 
you know, sometimes it's like it's like trying to manage ten Rottweilers. You've got you've got five <laughs> dogs in each hand on a, on, on a short lead, and it, and you put you get pulled from north, south, east, and west. And if you can't manage that and control that, and if you've not got the energy, or the wherewithal to do that, um, but then you shouldn't coach because you're going to get found out. Um, you know, so I I fully enjoyed every second of my life in rugby league and, and certainly at Warrington. But I have managed to, to push the button. I, I work as an independent member of the match review panel. So, Eddie, we'll, as you know, we'll get criticised from, uh, from, from all quarters. You know, so uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm aware of it. I'll, I'll, I'll receive criticism from other clubs by saying that I'm, I'm ex-Warrington. And I, I get criticised in Warrington because we ban Warrington players. <laughs> you know, Michael Cooper is the, uh, one, of the, you know, one of the leading players at Warrington. He's, he's, my, he's family. He's my nephew. We banned him twice. You know that, that was a great Sunday dinner. I can tell you. But you know, there's no, there's no, no fear, no favour. Um, and again, if, you know that kind of criticism of the four: Paul Dixon and Phil Vivas and Nathan McAvoy. If, between them, I think they played for every club in in in, in rugby league. Um, you know, there's not a club that we protect or go after or don't charge or charge. Every single incident is reviewed with the utmost honesty and integrity. Um, and I'll challenge anyone in any aspect to, uh, to, 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 to charge us with that and put it against us. Well, look, the, the story as we've told it today has gone back to 1980, 42 years Goodness you've been involved. Me. I mean, it's frightening, isn't it? Absolutely frightening. But, Paul, always a pleasure to see you, always a pleasure to catch up. And thank you for the insight, because a lot of people now will know where you guys are coming from. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Eddie, thank you very much. The platform, and it's probably something, when I say we, the game in general needs to do more of. Um, because if we think that everyone who follows our game understands this process inside out, we'd be, we'd be kidding ourselves. It'd be denial. They don't. We just need to be better at it in explaining it. Um, so, you know, this platform is absolutely priceless. And, you know, you were very kind, Joss, in, 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 in referring back to the work that we did together yeah. for Sky Sports. And, we, we, you know, we worked together in the media before Sky Sports. That's we how, we, uh, how, how we, we, we came to be friends. Ring around, you remember it? It, it was, you know, and it was like the early days of um, trying to take the game away from its traditional media slot and position. Um, you know, and, and I, I learned so much from... From, from your good self and from, from Steve-O um, in terms of present professionalism and presentation and looking at the game from a different aspect. Um, you know, I'm not the same player person I was when I was that kind of full-on fifth-gear player at Warrington. You know, I moved, I changed when I became captain, I changed when I became an assistant coach. You know, one of the greatest learning curves was working with your good self as a broadcaster. It made you look at the game in a different light. Um, and, it, you know... I thought I knew the way the game worked until I began working as an independent for the RFL. I began to see the game from the inside out and I've got a completely different view on it now. It works. It, can it be better? Of course it can. But there's a drive within the RFL to take this game forward. I know that doesn't come across perfectly on all occasions, but without a doubt, and, and, and player safety and future proof in the game is a driving force in, in, in the whole of that aspect and it's why, it's why I do it. Well, a real privilege to spend some time with Paul Cullen. Trust you enjoyed it as much as I did. And you'll all make sure to join both Steve-O and I again for the next edition of Eddie and Steve-O, the podcast.